The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Nesh Patel, Mike Gibson coming to you face-to-face from ACC 2022. Great to be back face-to-face, isn't it? It's exciting. It's It's great. So many people here. It feels pretty uh, crowded, right? It feels busy. The energy's good. Yeah, I think it's actually, um, you know, I think we're all waiting to be in a meeting where we actually get to interact masked and vaccinated, but it's really fun to be and be able to see signs. We're back. Yeah. Good. Well, you and I are both interested in anticoagulation for AF, ACS, stroke, and everything else. We had a good run with the factor 10 inhibitors, had some bleeding, yeah. but now we're in search of the holy grail, you know, some efficacy without that same price and bleeding. And uh, talk to us a little bit about the program you're running, the Pacific trial of a new factor 11 inhibitor from Bayer. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, we had the opportunity to present uh, the Pacific AF results. And just as you said, for years, we've been looking for the holy grail. First, we have vitamin K antagonists, sort of dirty, interacting in a lot of places to help thrombin interaction. 10A inhibitors, central point, we see that it helps with thrombosis, but maybe there's still a problem with hemostasis because there's still some bleeding. So a new class of therapies, factor 11 inhibitors, uh, are being studied. Uh, one of those named Asyndexian is actually being studied by our team and a group of investigators internationally in a program called the Pacific Program where they're being studied in several doses against patients with atrial fibrillation, patients having acute myocardial infarction, patients having stroke not related to atrial fibrillation. Here at the ACC, we present the results of the phase two study, Pacific AF, where 750 people were randomized against, with atrial fibrillation and a CHADS 2-VAS score of about four, to two doses of acidindexian, 20 and 50 milligrams, versus apixaban. And is that once a day? Once a day, a really important question. So, mm-hmm. you know, one of the conversations, first just thinking about factor 11, what's the mechanism, why would it work? It's based on contact inhibition. So it's in a bit of the amplification towards thrombosis. So the holy grail, uncoupling hemostasis from thrombosis, can you still clot when you need to, but not clot too much? Yeah. And as we've said for years, there's no free lunch, so we're always looking for any coagulants that might do it better. Well, you know, this is an advance because we put a lot of things in that cause contact activation, stents, uh, bioprostheses everywhere. So this could be an advance over previous agents. And, you know, if we do have something that's safer, we actually may have something that's more efficacious because people discontinue these drugs when they start to bleed. So these two are interrelated, right? Yeah, you've, you've taught us and thought about this for a long time, and I agree with you. Um, what we show in Pacific AF is in these 750 patients, during COVID, we randomized them with atrial fibrillation, and they had about three months of exposure. The reason we did that is to try to identify the right dose as we think about those phase three studies to get to both safety and efficacy. And what we demonstrated is that in a factor 11 assay, that we, we actually uh, inhibit factor 11 with those two doses fairly well, about 90% with the 50 milligram dose or over 90%, almost complete inhibition both at peak and trough. Mm-hmm. And then small number of bleeding events, only 48 total, mm. but the bleeding rates are about 50% or less with acidexine compared to apixaban. Wow. Fibrillation patients. Now, small again, numbers of small events. Small number of events, don't want to overstate them, mm-hmm. but the highlight is for us that 
at least there's a signal that there could be more safety. And now we have to go do the phase three studies to see if the efficacy is there too. Importantly, I think we also want to think about how do we do these better? How do we do these trials better? How do we get diverse patients in? How do we engage patients? So we're also doing um, uh, something we're calling Pearl AF, where patients are going to tell us about how they rank some of these endpoints. So mm. they can give us some information. And so people at the presentation will see that there's an opportunity for patients to go and fill out their views of how they rank stroke versus bleeding mm -hmm. versus different events. That's fascinating. These utility scores are surprising. I mean, if death is a one, a disabling stroke may be worse than death, yeah, right? Right, and, absolutely. Uh, and a bleed that keeps getting you off therapy or have to go to the hospital, you might think of more significantly than we might. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Do you feel good at 750 patients, you know, having done Atlas where we had 3,500 patients, 21 different doses, <laughs> trying to figure this out? I don't know if we do. I mean, I guess what I would say is the value of the program, but I, I think you're right. You always want more data, and you've shown us again that that's really valuable. Um, the nice thing about the Pacific program is that there's 750 patients with, uh, with atrial fibrillation, uh, one IDMC, one CEC across the whole program, same endpoints being evaluated. The AMI population will be studied on top of antiplatelet therapy, mm -hmm. about you know, 1,200 patients to 1,500 patients. The stroke population will have about 1,600 patients coming out later this year. So those, if you look across the program with some of the same doses, we should start to be able to understand hopefully a little bit better. People <clears throat> need to understand we have different goals in these different programs, right? Right. So AEF is can we reduce bleeding relative to a pixaban? That's right. Without That's a penalty. Without a penalty efficacy. on efficacy. Whereas the others, as you know well, is going to be can you improve some efficacy without a penalty on bleeding? Exactly. And I think those, those are going to be um, things we all sort of struggle with as we think through. Exactly. And I think uh, both our programs are using one CEC one IDMC, you know, we're trying to make sure everything uh, is, is consistent across all the development programs so we can, learn. you know, make sure, learn and make sure we have the same endpoints and lump and split data where we need to. I think that's right. I think what we'll find out over the next six months to a year is that um, as these data come out, we're going to learn just how much of this uncoupling can you get. Yeah. And I think in the atrial fibrillation space, there's still a huge opportunity because we are giving patients anticoagulants. And even though, whether it's rivaroxaban or pixaban, whichever one there is, there's still a bleeding hazard. And if we can improve that, hopefully patients stay on therapy and have less stroke. They stay on therapy, but hopefully if we improve that, we can increase the size of the pie. That's right. Because and there are so many people not even getting treated right yeah, now. Yeah, you know, I, this is 2022, and we were involved in the 10A programs. And so in 2010, when the first 10A, and at that time relied to be thrombin inhibitor was coming out, we were thinking, boy, now we've changed the field. This is the first year that more than 50% of people in the world are getting a DOAC. Yeah. So it's taken us 12 Takes. years to change that pathway. Usually the number is 10% per year, but this was 5%. Per yeah, year. we did a little better. We right? did, yeah, but you know, I think it's the bleeding that has really held back uh, broad adoption of this class. So let's see if we can do better in the next round. Yeah. Nesh, thanks for joining us. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Look forward to seeing uh, more of these results. And thanks to all of you for joining us here. Face to Face, ACC 2022.